and welcome to Quality of Life Radio, hosted by Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazines.com. Hey, everybody, welcome to Big Blend Radio's Quality of Life show. Today, we're going to chat with Suzanne Maria about her inspiring memoir. It's called Watching for Dragonflies, A Caregiver's Transformative Journey. It's out now through She Writes Press, and it really focuses on the story of, of her caregiving for her husband uh, when he went through um, multiple sclerosis and also some of her medical uh, work that she went through. So I encourage you to go to her website, SuzanneMarriottAuthor.com. Uh, we really delve into, we're going to delve into some spirituality on the show. So I'm just going to give you a little heads up there, right? Suzanne, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm fine. And thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I'm really glad to have you here. And um, really also want to say thank you for sharing your stories because I think this is something, you know, when, when someone goes through something medical and a health, you know, at, at, especially at the moment, it's like it's a health crisis, right? Yeah. Um, it is a very scary thing and it really throws people for a loop. And I think what your story is so good is, is about how to get back to the center of, of a relationship to make things work, which can be difficult, you know, when, when things, when life throws you really big curveballs on how to get back to the, how to have the communication and really take these curveballs on and um, work as a team, which can be really difficult. Well, I think that that's, that's the crux of it. Um, although Michael and I had a wonderful relationship, we did have our arguments. And I realized that uh, when he was ill, when he became ill, that he absolutely uh, wouldn't be able to withstand these arguments we used to have, even though they were infrequent. So um, I made a change then to uh, consciously become more responsive rather than reactive, reactive from old patterns, uh, go, actually going back to childhood. And I really worked on that. And I think that is one thing that helped us uh, work together to face the challenges of his uh, disease. And uh, mm -hmm. as we grew closer, um, our trust, his trust in me as a caregiver increased and my trust in him as, you know, as a partner in this venture of uh, meeting the challenges of MS increased. So that's mm -hmm. one of the things, one of the transformative things that, uh, that is, mm -hmm that I write about in my book. You know, and also when you talk about the trust part and the reaction, you know, when you, when people argue, and that's a normal thing, right? For couples, family, I mean, you know, Nancy and I travel the country together as mother, daughter, run a business together. So we're always there, right? And, if, and people go, that's so wonderful. I could never do this with my mother. Or I could never do this with my daughter. I'm like, it's not just, you know, a cakewalk, you know, a relationship. I mean, we do have our moments and, you know, but, but because of what we do, those moments aren't allowed to drag on, you know, we have to get up and travel the next day or put a magazine out or whatever it is. And we have, you know, so there's a, there's a trust that 
arguments can go too far at times. Um, and a lot of times I think arguments are more, they become this reactionary battle versus what, what are we trying to, what, what's the goal of this? You know, are we just spouting off, spouting steam, trying to make a point? Um, but that reactionary thing can actually start to eat at trust because if it's always a combative reactionary, you know, drama, you know, communication, trust starts to go away. Whereas if you turn it around on your goals, then you can start building that trust back up, you know? Um, yes, that's very, very true. Yeah. It's um, trust is key, especially with caregiving because, and, and you know this also, because you also went through a diagnosis of cancer. There's a fear that comes when something, when a, a major medical diagnosis is, you know, happening to you, your body. Um, there's a fear that comes with that. And there's a fear of, you know, people taking care of you, whether it's the doctors, the nurses, or your loved ones. So the fear part, can you touch on that a little bit on how to move past that fear? Well, in the case of my cancer, um, I, although I had wonderful allopathic care, I also uh, did lots of uh, alternative or complementary um, activities to, uh, to address my cancer. And one of the things I did was uh, hypnosis. I had a wonderful mm. hypnotherapist and um, that we had a lot of trust. And going back to childhood experiences, I had developed a, a distrust really of the medical profession of, of doctors. Um, nothing specific in my case, but it was just a general fear and distrust that probably goes back to very early childhood. I had a tonsillectomy at age two, which was traumatic. So um, through hypnosis and his suggestions, I learned um, more trust in the medical doctors who were going to be doing the operation and helping me. And um, so he, he just gave me the suggestion that perhaps uh, I, I would trust them more and realized that we were all working together and that they were there for me. And mm. that helped me a great deal. And mm. um, so that's one of the things uh, that was helpful to me. I, I really appreciate that side of kind of using all modalities, right? Not just, you know, they always say the East and the West and, and all of that, but spirituality can be come, come from anywhere. And kind of, it's, I feel like it's more tapping into your center and being able to travel to the past or through like what you're saying with hypnosis, it's, it's kind of, I think our brain stores everything and it's really about how to get back to those memories. It, it's like rebooting your computer in a way on a spiritual, but then also a brain level. Does that make sense? Like we have a little button we get to push, but we have to learn how to push the right buttons to do it. Yes, yeah, speaking of spirituality, um, there's a lot of spirituality in my book. And when I had cancer, um, I did several things, um, meditation, um, uh, from a discipline called psychosynthesis, I learned to um, have dialogues 
with my wise old person mm-hmm. who was really my, you know, an avenue to reaching my higher self. And so that was very helpful in, in seeking guidance. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, when I was on chemo, uh, I listened to wonderful um, guided meditation tapes that helped me visualize this, mm-hmm. uh, this taught really toxic chemicals that were going into my body um, to fight the cancer, if any still existed there. It helped me visualize them as a, a bright blue fluid that was um, help healing me. And uh, I also did visualizations of uh, my white blood cells, this little um, Pac-Man type things that would eat up any stray cancer mm-hmm. cells. So uh, the visualizations um, and, and uh, meditations helped a great deal. And as I was um, focused on my own medical journey, uh, I also developed a sense of self-worth that was independent of my caregiving. Um, I had, because I'd been caring for Michaels for so long, I had um, kind of envisioned or, or seen myself um, through the caregiving eyes. And, and that's, that's where my self-worth was coming from. But I realized mm-hmm. I had an intrinsic uh, sense of self-worth and that I intrinsically and regardless of anything I was doing, I had a right to life. And um, yeah. yeah, so that, uh, that was really quite a um, amazing discovery. And Michael was wonderful. He was in a wheelchair then. And uh, he really was my rock and, and so supportive all the time I was in the hospital and through this whole journey. Yeah, you know, and our friend Steve Schneiker, our, he does our Hollywood history excerpts on Big Blend Radio here. And, and he, he's been on shows talking about MS as well, and um, which, which is something he goes through. And he always talks about the power of positivity. He's always reminds me, Lisa, thoughts become things. Don't say this. Start to believe the other side, because it really is true. And he's very strong in, um, in a spiritual core, you know not necessarily this religion or that religion, you know, but very strong in that um, uh, how, how you shape your attitude and what you choose to believe is going to get you through. And I mean, we've known him for years and, you know, when he was diagnosed with MS, you know, here comes all the negative stuff. The doctors tell you that you don't want to hear. And he said, no, that's it. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I walk. He, he lifted weights. He did exercise and he's still like that to this day taking care of his body as much as he possibly can and we all have our ups and downs with that in life but he said that that positivity that thoughts really do become things and and um to to really have that belief in yourself of healing do you find that works too for you yes i think um belief um positive belief is very powerful and uh, Michael exhibited that through much of the time that he had MS. He, uh, well, we traveled a lot actually, and we we had been very active um, before MS. We had been avid mountain bikers. We had backpacked and into the Stanislaus River uh, area overnight. Well, several nights and beautiful. We'd done a lot of um, traveling. So um, 
we looked at things as not, you know, well, we can't do this. It's yes, we can, but we'll have to make adjustments. Um, mm. So it's it's not necessarily um, it's it's how can we do it rather than no, we can't do it. Mm. So we made lots of adjustments um, as things went on, um, and uh, we were mm. really quite active and had some wonderful adventures and uh, travel during that time also. Yeah, it is about how, and it's just changing your perception, right, of how you do things. I love that. And and I love that you go to nature, too. I think nature is uh, one of the strongest, you know, healing energies that you can go to. She's the source, you know, of, you know, clean air and, you know, everything that we want. And it's, I think there's there's just a healing, healing magic about being out outside and I love the title of your memoir, Watching for Dragonflies, because they're, well, hey, dragonflies are, when you start, you know, studying them, they're, they're a little, they're, don't mess with them. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? In their world, right? But there's, they're just like butterflies also, a, a symbol of rebirth, I think, with what they, you know, they're just, they're beautiful. They do eat each other and stuff like that, but it's kind of like a praying mantis, but there's a strength in that too. Um, they are strong. You wouldn't realize it until you start studying them. They're strong, they're beautiful, and a sense of rebirth. And did you think of those things going out in nature and seeing them? And when Michael went out into the water and saw them and watched for them? Yes, they became a very powerful transformative symbol for Michael and also for me. Um, I could read that part where he had his... Uh, Adventure with Dragonflies, it's pretty short if you would like. Or I can oh, just yeah. Play. Oh, okay. yeah, that would be awesome. Okay. So we're on the Eel River, and uh, Michael is at this point walking with his two hiking poles. He's very unstable, but he's able to get around with two hiking poles. And uh, we have purchased a small used RV, and we have driven up the coast of California and stopping at various places. And so this takes place on the Eel River in Northern California. So I'm reading now. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm experimenting with swimming against the gentle current and letting it carry me back to where I started. I notice Michael has been standing on the opposite bank for quite some time. I go over to him. What are you doing? I ask. I'm watching the dragonflies, he tells me. I notice there are a host of dragonflies flitting among the reeds that grow along the bank. We both stand transfixed, watching their transparent wings reflect the sunlight, transforming them into prisms of iridescent color. They're creating a miniature light show as they dart and twist, abruptly turning and changing direction. There, standing side by side in the still water, our bodies touch and our love flows gently between us. Despite his disability, he has walked across this shallow part of the river on his own, and he is excited to share his reward with me, the wonder of dancing dragonflies. In the years to follow, dragonflies will become a powerful symbol for Michael, a transformative symbol of strength and renewal, a symbol of being whole. 
Mm. So this That's was uh, this was a, 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 a let's see, a, a, not a broad, a, a fairly narrow part of the river, and it was you know shallow enough to walk in, and it was just beautiful. You know, you're such a beautiful writer. I mean, your words are. I think you 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 capture things in a very straightforward yet beautiful way. It's you, it's where you don't you know when someone doesn't go over poetic, but just lets you actually be there. Um, and I think that's a very beautiful talent to have, where you can put someone in a place, yet actually have this. Like a, it's it's like a, a comforter. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> You're comfortable, like you know what I mean. But you can be there through the good, the bad, the beautiful, the not so beautiful, and um, you you really have a knack for doing that in your writing. I'm not finished with your memoir yet. It's a good thing because then I, I blab. Nancy does the same thing. We're terrible. <laughs> we want to tell everybody everything, and we, we want them to get the book. But I think you have this amazing. Just even the piece you read of putting someone right there. When did you decide to write this memoir? Was it after everything? Was it during? Did you like write to kind of even help have some sense for, you know, time for yourself? Because that's the one thing, I mean, and we've gone through some caregiving ourselves and, and learned the hard way of burning out. And then you just, you get angry about everything. There's so many emotions that go with this. And I think that's another thing that you're so good about telling people about and, and sharing with is that getting that emotional strength um, and going to nature, like you're saying, is really it. But when did you decide that, you know, this memoir needs to happen? Well, during the 10 years that Michael um, suffered from MS, um, I kept detailed journals, 12 in, in all, and uh, I was, I'd always been a journal keeper, but I just had um, this sense of this need almost to, to write down what was happening. And mm. in, in many ways, that gave me clarity. It, it gave me some distance so that I could go into the witness role in my own mm. interior to see what was happening and also to see how we were growing and changing. So uh, during these years, I was also seeing a wonderful woman who was a psychotherapist. I saw her about once a week and she had a Jungian perspective, which I very much appreciated. But um, at one point um, she said, you know, if you use these journals as the basis for a book, I think it could be very helpful to other people, other mm -hmm. caregivers, but, but anyone who was facing a life-changing crisis. So that planted the seed. And after Michael passed away, um, I began writing this memoir. Now, that was in 2006 <laughs> when mm -hmm. he, he, he died. And so obviously it was many, many years and many, many revisions and uh, just changes of, of my perspective from writing Michael's story to, to real, realizing and writing my own story. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, over those years and uh, through the revisions and, and work and introspection, um, the book 
the book materialized. Yay. And, and it's out now, everyone. Um, and, and the links in the show notes for those, you know, so you can go to Suzanne's website and, um, you know, writing and, and journaling when you're going through so much medical stuff, and I'm calling it stuff because the medical system is not the easiest to navigate. Here you're going through real drama or a crisis in your family, right? And then you have to navigate the medical system, the insurance system, all of that stuff. And one thing I've, you know, started doing through different caregiving episodes in my life and friends and family is I started becoming um, a person that says, you know what, you need to record things in the doctor's office. You need to record what they say. Because it, because of, you know, you talk about being reactionary, it can happen. You don't want to hear what the doctor has to say, or you really want to hear every little note that you're not hearing all of it. And sometimes you're scooted out so fast that it, it became like, you know, write things down, record things just so that you can keep what is happening straight because so much is happening. Did you find that that helped with journaling at all to just keep what, what was going on straight because of all the external things that come with going through a medical crisis? Well, it did give me a record so that if I needed to, to check on something, I could, I could look back and, most likely um, what I needed to find would be somewhere in my journal. But also um, as Michael's memory became uh, less reliable, I became his backup memory. And, mm. uh, and I had a very good memory at that point. Um, and I was so, and I'm a good listener. So I was so engaged uh, that, that usually I remembered um, what the doctor had told us and, and then Michael and I would go over it. I would go over it with him when we got home and uh, remind him of certain things as, that he needed to do, you know, in his, as he was going about his life. Remember the mm -hmm. doctor said this or so forth. And um, this, we had good medical care for the most part, although there were times when I had to step in and uh, take over, really. There were times with uh, Michael's, uh, as Michael's disease progressed and as he was in the hospital more and more times, that, um, that I had to intervene when I saw that things weren't happening as they should. And so I, I developed an assertiveness uh, that I really hadn't had before, and it was just necessary to protect my husband. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a it's a hard road, man. It's definitely got the bumps, you know. When you when you think about all of those, just navigating it all just becomes very difficult. And then the memory side, I think sometimes the memory side is just there's so much to deal with that it it can get confusing. Did they say this or that last time we were here? They said this. You know what I mean? And the memory sometimes that can also create. Um, arguments of someone remembering it one way, the other person remembering it the other way. You know, that's, um, I've seen that happen and been there through that. Okay. And um, yeah, it's, I wonder also if there's also, you know, that coming together over a relationship, like, you know, we had, I had a step-grandfather that went through a series of medical procedures in Mexico and none of us really understood what was going on. This is way before Google or internet was out there or anything. And he, 
he wasn't he wasn't all there you know what i mean he wasn't i mean really and didn't understand what was going on and his fear became really nasty and we didn't understand well i mean we just as suddenly thrust into this caregiving role that we we didn't really know him that well either because we all lived in different countries at one point and so it became this nightmare of trying to make things work trying to navigate a language and i mean he was partially deaf and well majority mostly deaf and then arguing about things when he wasn't even hearing it straight and um it became very tenacious let's put that that word there and also kind of a generational um you're you're younger women why should i listen to you kind of thing it was very difficult to navigate all of that and kind of get people on okay what are we all doing you know do you want help and then you have to realize that his brain wasn't because it was strokes and all kinds of things his brain was not working like what ours were you know our function so that's i think there's a lot and a lot of people go through this every single day thousands and thousands of people go through that um lack of communication and understanding and i think it really helps if if you have a good relationship before something like this happens to be and you, regardless you said yours your relationship grew stronger through this it did it did grow stronger because um first of all we out of necessity dropped uh, some of the more contentious parts of our relationship and uh our trust increased his appreciation for me increased he became um realizing how much he needed and depended on me um he became more attuned to uh to my needs uh to uh and if i would get upset if i were, would cry about something in instead of you know pushing that away not wanting to deal with it um he would became more responsive and in tune with um what i was going through whatever it was and mm -hmm. uh, um we became closer that way our intimacy really increased as we as we dealt with what was going on with, mm. with both of us do you think i mean right now i think the way the medical system is too a lot of people are becoming caregivers now you know we're seeing more and more families move in together which i don't think is a bad thing i think that's kind of a let's go back to our some of our basics right mhm mm so you're seeing like a you know maybe three generations to even four generations of families being put together suddenly we saw that during covid and then we saw families also being completely split up and not being able to be there for each other depending on their circumstance and where they are and mm -hmm. so i think the way things are i think we're going to see more and more people having to be there for each other so would you think communication like maybe a sit down how are we going to do it like like what you're saying like okay we know that this side we always fight on let's just you know flush it down the toilet kind of uh, you know have have like that family meeting where everybody comes to the table and if they don't want to maybe move on or what i mean what would you say from your experiences well um 
Michael had three daughters who were grown at this point, um, and I had been their stepmother through most of their growing up years. Mm. And um, they were helpful in many ways, um, cared very deeply about their father. So I think that we became the closest, though, um, well, the, the, myself and uh, the three daughters became the closest when Michael was actually very close to the end and we had to make a medical decision on whether or not he would be intubated and mm. uh, put on a respirator. So um, I think that's the closest we came as functioning um, as a family uh, with with a focus on on what was best for their father. Unfortunately, Michael had made that decision at one point when a doctor had discussed with him the fact that if he were ever at that point, uh, intubation wouldn't be a good option because he he probably, because of his disease, wouldn't be able to come Mm -hmm. back from that. uh, We did have to make that decision. Mm. What would you say for you know, I mean, it, it, your book is, you know, full of it, love, right? So self-care. And then what about your other network, other family members and friends, co- co-workers? Um, is there a communication that has to be had for them to understand what you're going through? And do you end up sometimes having to walk away from people who don't get it? And suddenly you become friends with other people <laughs> that you never thought you would, who, who do understand? Well, we Because did, I think you need to have a good network around you. Well, we didn't have a large network. Um, people were there from time to time. Um, our network basically consisted of the, the three daughters and myself, but also... Uh, at, at one point when I was still working, I realized that I needed assistance. I needed some help here because it, Michael was by then in a wheelchair and he had to, um, we had an overhead lift and uh, all this harness that he wore, uh, which was complicated to put on while he was lying in bed. And that would take him from the bed uh, to the wheelchair or to his uh, shower shower uh, bench. Mm-hmm. We, had, we had redone the bathroom in this part of the house so that he, he had a direct access um, straight line to the shower. Uh, and so I hired a wonderful woman who came in every morning, uh, every well, during the week, sometimes on Saturday, and uh, she would get Michael uh, bathed, uh, dressed, uh, everything that needed to be done while I was at work. So, uh, and she would stay probably till noon. So that was, um, that was a wonderful help. Mm. Um, so realizing I needed assistance was a big move, um, from, you know, from being, I could do it all to, well, I can't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, and then we had, I had friends who, who um, were supportive. Mm. 
and then you talk also about um, going to a like a support group almost. And I think that's necessary, right? To be able to communicate about what you're going through, what Michael was going through. Um, would you suggest that to folks to look at that kind of group to, you know, help you get through and have, so people can understand, they, you're speaking the same language, right? You need that. Oh, I think that was so important. And Michael was actually in two support groups and I was in one for, for caregivers. And uh, it was such a wonderful uh, support and sharing. And uh, not only did we share emotionally and you know just lay it all out and, and get excellent feedback, but we also shared important information that um, I wouldn't have received anywhere else. And Michael just found that the support groups were a lifeline for him of uh, knowing um, where he stood in relation to other people, knowing that he could help other people and receive help from them. And um, it would, this, it, I think it's essential. At this point, the MS Society uh, ran support groups, our local chapter in Oakland did. Mm. I don't know that they're doing that anymore. I think they're more focused on uh, research and development, but um, there are support groups out there and I, they're, they're very wonderful. And one thing we learned that our doctor never mentioned, but I learned from my support group that there was a wonderful rehab facility that our HMO ran. And Michael twice went there and they were just wonderful. And that's mm -hmm. when he was outfitted in the in wheelchairs, actually two over time, that uh, were the right ones for him. And uh, he got wonderful physical therapy and all kinds of assistance there. So uh, support groups are just uh, very, very important. Yeah, especially with people, like I was saying, that speak the same language, right? Yes. Whereas, yeah, because sometimes that's what I was saying. Sometimes our friends and family, as much as we love them and they love us, they don't get it. You know what I mean? Until they're in that situation. And you do need to, you know, it's like I know probably when when you found out you had cancer for the first time, it's, you know, it's it, friends and family are like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what to say. There's some people that just, you know, shy away. Mm -hmm. because they don't know. And some people who do know, because I mean, it, it's not like we don't know someone with cancer, right? And in this climate now. Um, so I think having those support groups where it takes that edge off of people having to deal with that side of communication too, right? It's just kind of, it's a little bit warmer waters and supportive and I think maybe like social media helps on that. That's the positive side of, you know, social media is you can, you can meet some wonderful people online. You know, we've, we've talked to, um, I, and, and I mean, all kinds of support groups, obviously you're always going to, you know, people are people, right? So there's always going to be someone somewhere that you, you may not like or get along with. Um, but that, that's never, I mean, that's just life, but those support groups, I mean, if you need something in the, you, someone, is going to be up at one or two in the morning, like you may be being able to have an answer or just a supportive word of something that they've been through as well. That's similar. So I think that's a, we all get, you know, a little bit crazy about social media has that, you know, negative side, but I think 
social media can be very positive with those kinds of groups and um, online support in that way. Yes, when I had cancer or after, you know, the operation, and um, I was in a, another support group for cancer survivors. And uh, that was wonderful. And, and yes, you're there with people who understand. And uh, there's no embarrassment about talking about what's going on. And I think mm-hmm. that was that that was a wonderful experience, too. Now, are you doing a book tour with the with the memoir? Um, I have uh, coming up in, in this. I live in Grass Valley uh, in the Sierra Foothills. And I have at our local bookstore, the bookseller. Um, I have a book talk coming up at uh, at that facility, um, July 22nd. Um, and I did have a book launch um, prior to that. Um, where I live. I live in a community of 30 plus people. So had a wonderful um, celebration and book talk and launch with them. Um, uh, I don't have a series of uh, uh, appearances lined up. I have been working with a publicist, Books Forward. Mm. Oh, yeah, Um, we love them. Yeah. And uh, they've uh, been wonderful in in securing podcasts such as this with wonderful people and uh, guest blogs and so forth. Um, awesome. So I'm hoping that will bring people to my book because I, I really believe that um, although my experience, transformative experience was through caregiving, I believe that that my book would speak to and hopefully inspire anyone who had a life-changing crisis. And and I would love to communicate um, with readers and and with other caregivers and with with anyone who was interested um, on my Facebook page or uh, on my website. Um, I seem to get more traffic on on the Facebook page than I do on the website, but on the website is a link to the Facebook page, mm. which is, they're both Suzanne Marriott author. Um, so uh, social media can be a wonderful place to come together and, and share and uh, just communicate. Do you, are you open to doing book clubs? Um, you know, especially, you know, actual, even the support groups, you know, speaking with them, I mean, through Zoom or something like that. So would would you be open to doing that kind of thing? Yes, I think I your book would. I think it's moving. You know what I mean for people. And I actually want. I actually want to say. I think it's important that doctors and people in the medical um, industry itself should read it from the patient side, you know, I and think, the caregiver side. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. They they definitely have a narrow view, a very important one, but it's it's not expansive. Hmm. Yeah. But yeah, what what about doing, you know, um, book clubs and support groups and, and communicating with people that way? Would you yes. be open to that? I would love to do that. Uh, any, yes, I think uh, book clubs would be wonderful or any support groups or any other way that we could uh, have a dialogue. Mm. I know. And, and you travel too, right? It, I, I know you, you're into traveling and getting out there. So, hey, maybe you have to go on a world tour. I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> well, that would be exciting. That would really. I know. Be yes. 
I know it's uh, travel does things. I think, I think it's wonderful that you travel because you just, it, you know, we have to go outside the comfort zone. And sometimes that's what crisis, a crisis in life does is it pushes us out of our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Doesn't feel very positive, but no matter what the crisis is, you're going to learn something that you can use later in life. And you will find joy if you seek it. You will find strength that you didn't maybe know you had. And you'll find new strengths. You know what I mean? So that that I just believe that in crisis, it, you know, it it's not always a hundred percent out of the uh, you know, the end of the world. There is choices we can make to get through things and to grow through it, wouldn't you say? Oh, yes. Yeah. And travel is wonderful. It really, um, it, it, excuse me, puts me in a whole nother space. And I just love um, um, just the newness. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's, it's, I become a new person in this new uh, civilization or experience or, or, you know, new, new situation. With your travels and then also on the spiritual side. And we haven't got too woo-woo on the show. I did give everybody a warning. Hey, we're going to get spiritual here. (laughs) But I I would say that. But um, with your travels and then connecting with different people, meeting new cultures and, you know, on the spiritual side, wouldn't you say that everything may be done in a little bit of a different way, but there's a thread that ties through all the yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know how many different spiritual experiences you've had in different countries uh, and so forth. But from what you have experienced, would you say there's a tie that connects us all, which is pretty mind blowing? You know, like we used to live in Africa and in South Africa and Kenya, and mm-hmm. you know, you can you can meet a witch doctor and a power of mind that we were talking about with our friend Steve. That's what it's all about you know it is and and doing such practices that are meditational you know even if none of us were using those words um it's really quite amazing then you can go to mexico and and meet you know shamans and and other you know healers yet there's going to be this connection that's very similar and um I don't know. That's just kind of my experience. Like it'll be different words, maybe a different way of doing things, but there's still, still these similarities that run throughout that you can be in a different culture, but it, there's always this other, it's like you're wearing two, two different shoes, but one's the new shoe. And the other one is, Hey, I'm finding, you know, this old shoe still fits in the new place. <laughs> that makes sense. You know what I mean, when, when you travel and, and get into those different situations, um, and cultures. Uh, yes, I found that traveling physically and also traveling inter- in, inside. Um, mm. I did uh, some shamanic work um, uh, and uh, with drumming and mm. had some powerful experiences and did some shamanic journeying when Michael was ill, which uh, opened up vistas and uh, new ways of knowing. I also... Um, we did a lot of um, found a lot of support in Tibetan Buddhism um, mm. and uh, the powerful uh, 
Blue Medicine Buddha was uh, one of the uh, figures that I uh, meditated with or on. And uh, so did Michael, actually, when he was in the hospital. I put a large, um, at one point, he was in many times, but at one point in the hospital, uh, I put a large poster of the Blue Medicine Buddha at the foot of his bed on the wall. And at that point, um, he was hallucinating a lot. And he told me later, he said, when I was hallucinating, I knew I was hallucinating, but the only <laughs> thing that was real for me, the only thing that I knew wasn't hallucination was that poster of the Medicine Buddha. And it, wow. it centered him. <laughs> and it was just amazing. Um, so um, these, huh. and, uh, you know, interior... Um, journeys, dreams, there are over 20 dreams in my book. And dreams were extremely powerful in uh, giving me new uh, avenues of growth. Um, connection with archetypal figures such as uh, uh, the feminine um, archetype, the goddess archetype, helped me mm -hmm. with, with um, being more compassionate and, and collaborative. And then the archetypal uh, image of the hermaphrodite, the combination of both ma archetypal masculine and feminine energies coming together, uh, helped me get in touch with that positive masculine energy of assertiveness and self-confidence. And that together with the compassionate uh, feminine archetype and collaborative uh, energies, uh, really helped me immensely in my journey as a caregiver. Mm. You know, it's interesting because way back when we used to like do, you know, just culturally do things like, you know, you want, you want to be strong like a lion, kill a lion, you know, and we've changed so much now it's, you know, but I think dreaming and vision work, meditation, I mean, it's all, you're going on a trip, you know, right. <laughs> you know, seriously. And when you do it, it that's when you start to realize, you know, we where I think it helps even in regards to grief and death when you lose a loved one, because you realize it's far bigger out there than what we realize. And there's so many different planes to our being, whether it's you know the soul being, spiritual being. There's the, you know, the shell of a human. Um, and through that, you can, you, you're looking at these different, I don't want to say personality, you know, archetypes, like you're saying, right? Mm -hmm. And you, you, you're focusing on them. You're, it's, it's our way of connecting with our soul and our brain going, okay, we need to tap into this. Whereas a doctor will go, okay, we need to do this because this needs this over here on the physical body. We have to tell the body itself too, and the soul and the spirit what to do and it's a, a a way of being very connected i went through some medical work um and it it was almost like this yeah you needed to slow down and and take care of yourself whereas you know it, it was almost like a blessing you know what i mean and it wasn't anything as as major as you and michael at all but i'm a baby about medical stuff i see a white jacket and i'm running so mm -hmm. <laughs> i'm out but I, it, it made me 
meditate and go through things with worry stones and, and really just focus on colors and focus on different animals for different strengths. And um, dreams are very, I, I always believe in them. And visualization has always worked if you really tap into it. And we have all these extra, I don't want to say the word powers, but we do. Don't you? I mean, I think we do. And we just rarely take the time to really tap in and develop them. You know, we all have those uh, psychic abilities, even, right? If we tap into it. I believe that anyway. That's just my personal beliefs. And you you can heal. And sometimes it's not time to do that. Maybe it is time to go to the next plane. But there is that connectivity of that's, we're, we're pretty complex beings, don't you think? It's pretty cool, you know? Yes. I think we have lots of facets to our personality and to our which and avenues of tapping into our soul's purpose and and uh, the spiritual spirituality. Mm-hmm. Uh, after Michael Michael did pass away, and uh, we had profound connections after he had died. Mm-hmm. Um, some were just body felt. And uh, many, many synchronicities where Mm -hmm. things appeared that had meaning um, and uh, uh, connected me to him, let me know he was there. And um, I also uh, visited uh, psychics and mediums. um, Mm -hmm. And, and uh, one of them said, it's just wonderful. He's, he's, He's realizing that he can walk. He no longer is disabled. He's just mm. joyful. <laughs> and, and that was very comforting. And That's awesome. The dragonfly to me be, had new meaning after Michael passed away, that it, it also meant um, that his spirit could fly. I saw the dragonfly and his, his spirit connected, and I saw him in flight and uh, in freedom. It's beautiful. And there is a rebirth with them, you know? Yes. yes. They're, they're really, they're fascinating creatures. They really are. And they are beautiful and they're very strong. They're pilots. They look like, you know, I, I, I've done a lot of photography on, on dragonflies and get up close with them and you look at their eyes. I always go like, you're like a little airplane pilot, dude. You know, you should put a little scarf around your neck and go. <laughs> when you look at them, they look like they're wearing goggles, you know? And just like, all right, let's go <laughs> into the wild, you know. Um, there's something magical. And I think there's also something interesting with them because they are aquatic, but they can, they, they like, you know, they like land and water together, which mm-hmm. I think is always cool. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, how frogs and bullfrogs and I, I'm just that, I just think it's cool. You it's know? like the, 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 one, the spiritual together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the yin and yin, and it, it absolutely. But yeah, I think that's amazing that you've done the spiritual work. Did you use meditation to ever not just center, but just to calm the stress? Um, yes, um, there was a, a time when we belonged to a Tibetan Buddhist sangha, and uh, I was doing more meditation then. And um, I remember this, Michael was um, not yet in a wheelchair. He was using his hiking poles. And I remember we were in the Sangha, or which is a 
Tibetan Buddhist community. Mm-hmm. And there was a large poster of a, of a photograph of a Tonka of uh, Padmasambhava, who's an important person in Tibetan Buddhism. And as I was, I was meditating with my eyes open, looking at this image, and I just felt um, this white light streaming into my heart uh, directly from mm. him. And I recognized it as compassion. I, in my mind, I said, that's compassion. And, and that was wonderful in giving me a felt sense mm. of, of what compassion is, what compassion feels like, which made it easier and more accessible to me to, to give to, to Michael. Compassion is key, and we in society can so easily lose it. You know, we're so fi- fast-paced. And I mean, I'm telling you, know, there's, there's a caregiving role, right? But I'm talking about just general day-to-day life that's not always in caregiving. If we actually, in a way, if we all looked at each other as though we were caregivers of ourselves and of each other, I think it would be a better way of looking at life, you know, of, oh. of compassion that way. Yes, we have so many differences, and it's so easy to be in, you know, stay in your camp and and, and oh gosh, yeah, everyone else, and, and to realize we're all on this journey together at different stages, but to have compassion uh, for people who aren't aren't where you are, um, I think is very it would, it's wonderful. It would certainly mm-hmm. make it a better world. Absolutely. It feels good whenever you do something out of compassion. There's, there's nothing can can top that really, you know. Mm-hmm. That's a gift. You you that just you know, and it's, it's a gift, you know. It it really is. There's it's it's a beautiful thing, and that's why I say your book is inspiring. What I've read so far, so everyone, you've got to go get it. It's called Watching for Dragonflies: A Caregiver's Transformative Journey. Do you see? dragonflies wherever you go now do you look for them or do they just appear they appear people give me (laughs) dragonflies on them um yes it's wonderful and Uh, uh, by the you were mentioning my book it is available uh in bookstores uh through ingram uh, and uh publishers group west is part of ingram also on Mm -hmm. amazon and uh yeah Barnes then you need Point. to be on bookshop.org then probably if you're with Ingram as well. Yeah, bookshop.org. there's a, there is a, a link to that on my website. Oh, and awesome. um, as a debut author, um, it really, really helps to uh, let other people know about my book through reviews. So mm-hmm. if anybody is so moved, uh, placing a review on Amazon would, would be so wonderful. It does help. Absolutely. Everyone, SuzanneMarriottAuthor.com is the website. I want to thank you all for joining us here on Big Blend Radio. You can keep up with us at BigBlendRadio.com. Thank you so much, Suzanne. It's been a real pleasure having a good conversation with you. Well, thank you so much for inviting me, and I've really enjoyed our talk. <laughs>